Amen. Wasn't that an awesome worship set? Could you give them a round of applause? That was fantastic. Thank you. We've got teams pulling some uh, here late last night and then here able to do that this morning. So beautiful. Well, if you have been with us, you know that we are invited to memorize the Beatitudes, the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount. And as Mike and I were, were talking about this morning, I thought, oh, what if we just kind of see how far along we are in that memorization? So just a show of hands, how many of you who've been worshiping here for a while, you think I uh, maybe have about 25% of it memorized? Show of hands. Okay. Yep. 50%. Anybody in that 50%? Yep. 75, do we have any 75 folks? 100? Okay, well, here's, a, here's my brainstorm, uh, putting on my education mind. I said, what if, we take some of those, uh, what if we take some of those words out and we just have a blank? So Preston, could I get that first slide here? All right, so we are gonna try this together. If you, um, if you are new or if you would like a little bit of a reference, these are in the back, uh, in the back on the cart with the Bible. And I realized that I had done this. So I'm, I am in that 75% category, 75% um, when I'm at my kitchen table or in my office this morning, you know, I can, I can make it through, but I'm like, whew, there's a lot of pressure when you're the one up on stage, and so I kind of feel like uh, there was a young there was a young pastor that I heard about, and he was just out of seminary, and he was gonna he was gonna teach his for or officiate his first wedding, and he was so nervous about officiating that he memorized every word of what he was gonna say, and then he got up to the stage and he started off. He got about halfway through blank, his mind totally went blank. And so all that came out with this was the first scripture that came to mind, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. <laughs> That's a bad day. <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen here. Hey, take about 30 seconds to a minute here, and in your, in your own mind, see if you can fill in these blanks, or if you want to turn to the person next to you to fill in those blanks, and then we'll, we'll do it all, all together. So go ahead. All right, raise your hand when you're ready to give it a shot. Yeah, and this is only half of it, so. Folks, ready? I will not come around with a microphone, I promise. We'll do this all together. I'll play. All right, good to go? Here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You didn't get a chance to practice this next one. Go ahead, Preston. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of, just, sorry, persecuted because of righteousness. See, nervousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Starting to get on number 11. Blessed are you when people persecute you and falsely say they, all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. 
for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Nice job. Good job. You did a lot better than I did. <laughs> All right. We are going to pick up with the Sermon on the Mount where we left off last week. And if you were here, you know, one of the things that Darren talked about, it is your heart and your mind that God is after. And so just a little bit of a rewind here. So the Torah, the laws in the Torah came to help control the outside, the external actions. These were Jewish traditions. But Jesus comes and he teaches us this message, I came to change your insides. So in the Torah, we have 613 commands. Those, those are canonized. And the Jewish leaders, they kept adding to those 613. And so the next set of laws, there were 3,000 different laws. And then by the time the Sermon on the Mount, it comes along, there's 6,000 laws that the Jews have to follow. And these weren't necessarily bad things. What they kept doing is looking back to when they got sent into exile and said, what did we do? What were our actions that caused us to get sent into exile? And so they're like, oh, maybe this, maybe this. And they would add laws and they would add laws and they would add laws. But Jesus tells this group as he's talking to the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, these are the marginalized, these are the underbellies. He says, the kingdom of heaven is near to you. You are the salt. You are the light. You, you are going to be the hope of the world. You are going to be the one who brings the good news of the kingdom to God's world, to God's created world. And as they listened, they were thinking, huh, are you going to add more laws to us, Jesus? We've already got 6,000 that we need to follow, right? And now, as Tom said and Darren said in this kind of this level 301 message, Jesus says, there's, there's so much more. Everybody who hears these words gets a kingdom upgrade. God's standard is the heart. Let your heart treasure God above all things. And let your heart be a, be a conduit of his love to others. And that fulfills our calling, doesn't it, friends? To put God's love on display. See, what we've been learning about, what we're going to continue to learn about today, God cares about the kind of people that we are. God cares how we treat people. Not just our actions that we do or don't partake in. Those are important too. But he also cares how we treat people. So no matter where you sit, if you feel like you are kind of in the in crowd, if you are marginalized in the crowd, you are part of God's kingdom. And he talked about this. We've, we've gone through the, the previous passages from Sermon on the Mount. He talks about what this looks like for murder, for anger, for divorce, adultery, all those things. Today, we're going to talk about enemies. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, when I was assigned these passages, I was like, that's great. Because I remember uh, when Darren taught about this back in July, I'm like, that is a fantastic, uh, I'll just, I'll grab his notes, I'll kind of rework them a little bit. <laughs> Done, check mark. <laughs> and they are fantastic, and I will uh, reference some of those. But as I started to dig in and listen to commentaries and some, th some things took some, some twists and some changes and some new perspectives that I'm excited to share with you here this morning. So let's go ahead and dig in. An eye for an eye, Matthew 5, 38 
verse 42. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Let's begin with these two verses. So as we've been journeying, go ahead, that next slide. One of the things that uh, we've been doing as we've been journeying through the, the sermon is seeing how the Beatitudes, that preamble, tie in to all of the things that Jesus teaches about. And there's a lot of different connections we can use here, but for these two verses, I want to go back to blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the way of justice. Now, this might be a little bit of a, a wondering for you, but we'll, we'll unpack this. You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So you've heard that it was said, here's that law. Here's that law from the Torah. Here's your external action. But I say to you, taking it to the next level, changing the inside, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the other one, turn the other one also. Now, I've been learning to ask questions whenever we get to a piece of scripture that's kind of like an interesting detail, like, hmm, that really doesn't seem like it should matter. And I found one in, this, in these uh, verses here. Almost every translation that we have that I went through uses right cheek and turn the other. So when we read right cheek and turn the other, what is, what is trying, what's God trying to say in that? What's happening in that? And some of us know and have heard that in the ancient world, you did your right cheek for everything. I'm going to do a little demonstration. Because your left cheek, and sorry if this is a little bit too crass for some of you, all right? Your left cheek was used for toilet duties. So, ah, I picked up a fresh roll. There we go. All right, so everything was done with the right hand in that culture, okay? You would shake with your right hand, you would wave with your right hand, you would do everything with your right hand because this one was off limits. So if I would approach someone, and let's say that you and I are enemies, I'm really glad that we're not. Yeah, oh, there you go, that's, that's perfect, that's perfect. <laughs> And, and it says, slap them in the right cheek. What kind of way would I have to slap my enemy? My backhand. I'd have to give a backhand. And in that culture, backhand was a sign of dishonor. Backhand was a sign of, you know what? You're less than I am. I'm more important than you. And so if you, if you hear what Jesus says, he doesn't say, hit them back, right? That can be some uh, flesh, flesh response. But he says, hit me right. What this implies is, I am equal to you. I too, a human being made in the image of God. And nothing you can do to me physically can destroy that. Don't fight back but don't cower. 
When we do that, we're calling out the injustice by not fighting back with violence, but not allowing for them to take away our dignity, our human sacred dignity. And so Jesus kind of, she introduces this third way. He exposes the injustice for what it is by requiring the person to see your sacred humanity. I'm going to make you look me in the eye before you slap me. Now remember who he's talking to, right? He's talking to the marginalized. He wants them to know you are made in God's image. Every one of us, sacred humanity. And you can be respected in your interactions. In essence, what Jesus is communicating here, I'm demonstrating my Father's heart to you. He shows us that there's a third way. Not violence, but not passivity. Jesus shares this is one way to release his kingdom on earth. When we're being looked down upon, when we feel like we're marginalized, when we feel like we're on the outskirts, one way to bring shalom into that situation is to position yourself so other people know that you are confident in who you are in God's image. When we respond this way, it exposes injustice. Now, there are many examples of this throughout, throughout history. And what we're going to, yeah, so I just chose one, one that I'm fascinated with. Martin Luther King's nonviolent movement. I've shared with some of you before, but I always am fascinated. How did he get so many people willing to embrace this third way, this not violent, but not passive way? And what I found is that they created kind of a rule of life around their mission, around this nonviolent movement. Now, a little sidebar. I know many of us under, or know what a rule of life is, but uh, I thought this was a good definition. In crafting a rule of life, an invitation to the well-ordered way, Stephen Micaiah describes it like this. A rule of life is a holistic description of the spirit-empowered rhythms and relationships a set of guidelines that support or enable us to do things we want and need to do. It allows us to live with intention and purpose in the present moment. I love that, intention and purpose in the present moment. Rules of life are intentional practices and commitments for the purpose of serving as a trellis that supports the branches that are connected to the vine, which is Jesus, so that we can have a fruitful life of discipleship. So when you hear rule of life, it's not the set of rules and regulations that we have to adhere to in order to be saved. It's nothing like that. What it is, it's a support system that enables us to respond faithfully to the grace that we have received. And different missions have taken on different rules of life. Uh, you have the, the Benedictines, and they had kind of the outward ex or the inward expression of the uh, rule of life. The Jesuits had, had more of the outward expression. But here is what the nonviolent, this was the rule of life that all the marchers had to pledge to. So if we can get that slide, Preston. I hereby pledge myself, my person, my body to the nonviolent movement, this third way. Therefore, I will do the following Ten Commandments. Meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. 
Remember always the nonviolent movement in Birmingham seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. Walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love. Pray daily to be used by God in order that all men might be free. Sacrifice personal wishes in order that all men might be free. Observe with both friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy. Seek to perform regular service for others and for the world. Refrain from the violence of fist, tongue, or heart. Strive to be in good spiritual and bodily health. Follow the direction of the movement and the captain of the demonstration. And these were adapted to the mission of the group. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled the way of justice. I believe there's a lot of us in America that uh, in many topics, in many arenas, are looking for kind of this uh, third way, and especially in, in politics. And so Darren is going to do a deeper dive into this during the Made to Flourish series at 11 o'clock, happening right here. Preston, can I get that slide up there, just so you have a visual reminder? He's going to be teaching us. He's, we're going to be walking through we don't need to be violent, but we also don't need to cower. We need to be at the table. And so if you had plans for 11 o'clock, it's a, it's a fantastic presentation. I've been able to go through his slides with him. If you had plans at 11 o'clock, permission granted right now, get your cell phones out, cancel it, and just stay right, right where you are. That would be awesome, yes. But this is gonna be a conversation around kind of a third way to process the political arena that we're currently in. All right, so more to come at 11 on that one. We'll head on to the next few verses. The next couple of verses, our connection with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, the way of compassion. Stop judging and look with love. Scriptures, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So the listeners at that time would be familiar. Did I hear a cell phone? Was somebody actually getting their cell phone out and uh, canceling 11 o'clock? That's fantastic. Great. Thank you. Man, you guys are, you guys are alert this morning. That's fantastic. <laughs> No, the listeners at this time, they would be familiar with this, with this law because Roman law would say that, you, um, that Roman soldiers who had to carry their gear around would be able to choose a citizen or non-citizen and say, you need to carry my gear, you need to carry my equipment, you need to carry my uh, weaponry, all those things. So they were uh, the average Roman soldier would carry about 70 to 80 pounds of gear. So we'll put this in here. Let's see, Blake, I see you at the gym. Would you mind? All right, let's give him a, would you mind? All right, come on up, let's give him a round of applause. Let's, let's welcome him up here. Okay, so Roman law was 
If I was a soldier, which I wouldn't be, but because female, but we're just, we're, we're pretending here, right? So if, if I was a soldier and this was a citizen or a non-citizen, I can say, I can come to you and I can say, carry my gear for a mile. And it was again, a little bit of a demeaning thing. And so what Jesus is saying is don't resist that. I mean, imagine the tension that is right now between the Roman soldier and the ones that they were persecuting And then the Roman soldier plays the trump card of authority and comes and says, carry my stuff, all right? So you're you're like, yeah. (laughs) You smile, you smile all the time. I love it, that's awesome. That's that's exactly what Jesus asked us to do. So you would carry their gear. Here we go, I'm gonna put about, okay, there's about 50 pounds in this backpack. Oh, to be young and strong again. (laughs) You got it? There you go. Oh, but here's my shield. There you go. And we'll say that that halfway through, okay? So to the Redmond family, that's a mile, all right? You ready? We're going a mile. We're going a mile. We're going a mile. Here we are. And now what Jesus tells the carrier to do, say, go two miles. What happens here is a couple of things. One, it creates a really awkward moment for the Roman soldier, right? So because the Roman soldier at this time has to decide, am I going to break my own law or am I going to continue to get to know this person that I thought was just a slave? Now imagine, how long do you think it would would take you to carry uh, that for a mile in, in the terrain? 20 minutes, yes, you're, you're young and fit, that's, that's probably right, yes. <laughs> For me, I'd probably be more like 45 minutes to an hour. So as you're traveling with somebody, chances are good you're going to talk, right? And you're going to get to know their story. I wonder if that was Jesus' invitation. All right, I'm not going to make you go two miles, you can head back. Let's give him one more round of applause, that is heavy. You're so great. Thank you. Help you get down. <laughs> Did you tell me to be good? Uh, yeah, I could do it. Yeah. Uh, I won't try this morning. That, uh... <laughs> so one of the things that, we've, that I've heard a lot about is this concept of, of story. Take the time to hear someone else's story before discerning or making a judgment. So let's go ahead. Let's try this exercise on here in in this room. If we could role play just a little bit longer, all right? Let's say right right down the middle, all over here. Now we are just role playing. Let's say that you are, uh, you are hard red. You vote, you vote Republican party on that ticket, no matter what, okay? Start to get your head around those, uh, kind of those policies, those procedures. All right, and what if, all right, Mike, I'll try it. What if I take my backpack right into the middle of this hard red group, and I'm like, oh, man, 
Can you help me carry my backpack here this morning? Because I tell you what, I have so much stuff in it. I've got my shoes. I've got rain gear. I've got two or three extra. I was at this woman's march yesterday. Whew, I tell you what. All right. Think red. Think red policy. Think Republican. What kind of things come up in your mind if I tell you that I'm at a woman's march yesterday? Anybody? I'm pro-choice, yep. Feminist, yep. Activists. Man-hater, yeah, yep, that's good. See how easy it is to go to, to go to that judgment? All right, other side of the room. Ugh. Let's say, we're, remember, we're role-playing here. You are, all, everybody over here, you are blue. Deep sea, deep sea of blue right here, all right? Only blue policy, all right? And I come to you like, oh, Kimpins, high five. Could you, oh, could you help me carry my backpack? I'm so tired. It's got my computer in it. It has all of these, uh, it has all of these management books, all these economy books. I've been spending hours writing to the editor, writing letters to the editor that I need to be, we need to have more local control over government spending. We need that local control in our schools. We need it in our cities. What do you think in blue? What's some of the judgment or the thoughts that come this way? Hmm. Any, what's that? Pro big, Pro big business, yes. Privileged. Privileged, good. Anybody else? Man, she's for small, she's probably for small government, right? She probably wants no control on government spending, right? All right, just give yourselves a round of applause for uh, engaging in that. And I'm not going to ask you to uh, share with others, but just in your own heart with the Lord, what was your response to those two things? What rose up within you? See, in this polarized world, if we're, if, if we're not watching and filtering what we're watching and what we're listening to, it's easy to go straight to judgment, isn't it? And understanding someone else's story and listening to other people, it can help make us into better disciples. Commitment to listening and hearing one another's stories is one of the best antidotes for power and privilege. A servant live, listener doesn't need to dominate the conversation. They're allowed, they take the attention off themselves and focus the intention and interest on the needs of others. Someone asks you to carry their backpack for a mile, even if they have a different perspective on things, would you volunteer and take it too? And then just listen? We're going to dive deeper into this next week. And Preston, if I could get that slide. 
Oh, next one. Uh, the church is key to transforming culture slide. Sorry about that. So next time, at next week at 11 o'clock, our Made to Flourish series is Church is Key to Transforming Culture. And if we take some of these concepts and with the church is allowed to lead the way in culture, I think we can do a lot of changing in this world. We're going to have a panel up here and there's going to be practical advice on how to do this. So next week, you can come 9.15 here, make your way down the hallway for a pancake breakfast, and then come back here for the church's key to the transformation of culture. Do you like how I'm becoming your scheduling assistant here this morning? <laughs> yes. Sorry about that. We, we have one more thing to put, to put on your schedule. So here we go. Love your enemies. Now we're to love your enemies. Sorry, Preston. I've been skipping around on my slides here a little bit. Excellent. Thank you. Love your enemies. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. As I was reading and prepping for this, uh, for this message, I, I ran across one story of an old man, and it was, his, it was his 100th birthday party. And he had a reporter there interviewing him. Said, and the reporter said, what is the one thing you are most proud of of succeeding in life? And that hundred, the 100-year-old hundred man, he said, oh, that's easy. I'm 100 years old, and I don't have a single enemy in the world. And that reporter was impressed. He was like, that is remarkable, sir. What made it possible for you to do such a thing? Well, he said candidly, I've outlived every one of them. <laughs> So maybe everyone in this room is going to outlive our enemies, perhaps. I don't know. But if not, we should pay attention to Jesus' words here today. Jesus is saying that loving our enemies it is what makes us like God. If we don't love our enemies, we really aren't that different than anyone else. He says, you love your family and your friends? Good job. Everyone does that. There's nothing striking about your love. The one thing that can make us truly different is the kind of love that loves our enemies. And now I'm going to uh, reach back to July. Jaren, Darren did such a great job of unpacking of what it looks like to love our enemies. Get that slide, Preston. Here is his summary slide for that morning. Coming. Something to think about as you are dealing with your enemies and those have betrayed you. Jump up to that one. There you go. Thank you. Get real. 
as you're thinking about your enemies and those who've betrayed you, get real. There is power in naming things. Being honest before God. Who have I betrayed? Who has betrayed me? Have I been completely honest with God about my feelings related to this situation? One thing I think we hear often from the front, God can handle it. God can handle our emotions. And then let go in the authenticity. Again, honest before God. Am I holding on to any anger, bitterness, or resentment towards the person who hurt me? Towards the person who called that offense? Am I seeking revenge or reconciliation? And then let God. Am I willing to trust God to deal with my betrayer? Am I willing to obey God's command to forgive those who have hurt me? So check-in question, how are you doing with your enemies? As I sat with this, I thought, what are my roadblocks to loving my enemies? I mean, I know these scriptures, but, but what are my roadblocks? I've experienced, I've experienced both extremes in loving my enemies. So there's been times when, when someone has insulted me and come against me, and I know it, and I can look at them with a pure heart and say, I forgive you, and I love you. And there have been times when there, uh, someone has insulted me, uh, come against me, come against my family, and I can't let that go. And I hold on to it so tight, and I take that offense. Offense is the bait of Satan. I know this. So then I rewind, and I reflect a little bit more. What are those roadblocks when I can't let go and let God? I need to unpack my story, unpack my backpack. I think there's an invitation for all of us to if we get to roadblocks in loving our enemies, what is it? So I spent some time looking through my journals. What, what are some of the root things for me? And there's, you know, there's many. Uh, here's two ahas as I looked at my story. So for me, self-hatred blocks the flow of God's love to others. When I'm not operating out of my true self, so there's been many times when I've been a little bit more susceptible to this. I'll use just here at work. So I've transitioned here at third several times. I've always followed in the footsteps of these incredible leaders. Mary Orange, Bev Brand, Keith Corver. And I would struggle with finding my voice. In fact, Kevin would always say to me, I'm praying for you just to find your voice, find your voice. And on my, on my road to trying to find my voice, uh, Comparison just comes in. Oh, man. Why can't I be more like this person? Why can't I have that attribute? Why me? Why am I created like this, Lord? And it's true. Many of us heard it. Comparison steals all joy. And once that door is open, I think the enemy just loves to come in. So when I have that mindset, when I'm in that mindset, there is a roadblock in my heart that allows me to love, to love my enemies. And that ties into my second roadblock for me. I can also recognize seasons where God is not my sole focus. When I'm not single-minded, he's not top priority. I have put myself, or I've put the desire to please others 
in that top priority, in the seat where God should be. So when I'm worried about fulfilling my own selfish ambition, I'm not single-minded. I'm pleasing God. And others take priority. So if I have a self or other focus, I don't love anyone well, especially my enemies. God desires that our hearts are single-minded and that we treasure him above all things. God's standard is the heart. If we go back to the text and back to the moment when Jesus was speaking, he was brilliantly preparing the listeners for what was coming. A greater intersection of heaven and earth. In his book, Resilient, John Eldridge frames an example of what this heaven and earth intersection looks like. He says that Christians are like amphibians, creatures that can live in two worlds. Christians are designed to enjoy the benefits of two realities, the physical and the spiritual, earth and heavens. Each world offers its own graces to human flourishing. The natural world is full of beauty, and beauty nourishes the human soul. When we're looking to be renewed, we can choose walks in the woods, music, for keeping with the theme of beauty, own night, right? Many things, many things of beauty nourish the soul. We are also created to live comfortably in the spiritual world, to draw upon the supernatural graces as well. If you've ever experienced the comfort of God, if you've ever experienced his, his love, that was heaven coming to you. You've tapped into the rest of God's kingdom for help, the strength and the substance that you needed. Prayer, silence and solitude, having the joy of hearing the Holy Spirit whisper to you. If you have scriptures or songs that have been highlighted to you, these are things that are stirring in your heart. These are examples of God's kingdom coming from his supernatural world into the natural world. Our created nature is designed to live in these two worlds, drawing strength from the graces of these two worlds. But many of us are not tapping into that supernatural grace. And we can't ignore that supernatural grace and hope to flourish. Now back to the amphibian. If we were to place a frog a true amphibian, in a tank with water with no place to crawl out on, it would die. On the other side, if you were to place a tank with no water, if you were to put the frog in there, it would die. Amphibians need both realms to survive. And we cannot hope to release his shalom if we ignore the provision that God has for us in the fullness of both kingdoms. So, last invitation. Preston, if I could get the encounter retreat slide. Here's an invitation for you next week, Saturday, to come and spend time in God's supernatural kingdom. Because we don't face our enemy, we don't face our roadblocks in our own strength. We face them as we draw strength and discernment from the spiritual world to release into the natural. At this time, we'd like to invite the worship team to come on up. The last words that we read for today, Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, 
as your heavenly father is perfect. Now there was a lot of different opinions on what this meant. A lot of different commentaries went some different directions. Some say this means that to be complete, some say perfecting in love, and some say to be set apart. The one common theme they all agreed on is that a sinless perfection is not what is meant here. Jesus isn't saying to live a sinless, perfected life. The only time he uses that word is when he is talking to the Pharisees with the women who was caught in adultery. And then he says, those of you who are perfect without sin, throw the first stone. But for this morning, let's use all three of those. Jesus says to us this morning, be complete, be perfect in love, and be holy or set apart. These are the things that distinguish us, distinguish us from every faith and every philosophy of the human family. We are complete when we allow ourselves to receive God's love from his supernatural world. And we are set apart and become perfect in love when we allow everyone to meet, we meet to be the object of the love we have received. And that includes our enemies. So we're just gonna close in prayer today, providing space for us to let our hearts once again be single-minded, treasure God above all things. And as we sit with him, we're also gonna provide space for us to do what he asks us to do, and that is to pray for our enemies. So will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are reminded that we are made complete when we allow ourselves to receive your love from your supernatural world. We ask that you would send that love to us now, to each person here. We ask that through this touch of your love, there'd be a wholeness, a completeness, a healing that would happen in our journey. We also know there's a greater exchange that happens as we lift up our praises, even when we don't feel like it. A greater exchange happens when we tell you, Father God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, how much we love you. So would you spend some time just praising and loving on our triune God? reminded of your words. Jesus, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So I invite you now to think of an enemy, someone who has insulted you, someone you disagree with. Maybe currently you're in an argument. Would you get a picture of them? and pray for them. Sometimes it's hard to find words, and so if it's hard to find words, would you just pray that God would show his love to them?
ask God for the supernatural strength to forgive that person and to release that person and to trust him in this situation. Friends, sometimes as we do this, there is a heaviness that lifts or a new freedom that just seems to flow from uh, within in our bodies. And sometimes there's no feeling at all and both are okay. We can trust that we have obeyed Jesus' command to pray for our enemies. This is part of our journey of releasing his kingdom here on earth. God, that is what we desire. Our prayer for this hour, this season, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all of God's children said, amen.